Apparently we have this platform up here and I might be short enough to use it at some point. I'm not sure, but I'm, I feel like I'd be towering above you. I don't know. We'll have to, have to think about how we use that, but you can let me know what you think. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And I just pray this morning um, that as we're in it, you would speak to us. God, that it would go into our heads and hearts this morning. And God, just have your way amongst us as we uh, listen. Would you be guiding us, speaking to us by your spirit? Amen. A minister once told a story of looking really down in the dumps, and an older minister came along to greet him. And the older minister said to him, Oh, are you still going to heaven? And he said, Yes. And the older minister said, oh, phew, I thought there was something actually wrong. I wonder how much heaven has occupied your thoughts this week. I had a a great little chat this week in uh, in the playground down on the wreck by Strand on the Green with a a mum friend. And uh, and she was saying, um, as many people qualify when they talk to me, I don't believe, but... um, And so we're having one of these conversations. She said, I don't believe, but it must be so amazing to actually have a, a kind of purpose to your life and to know where you're going. And as she was speaking, all I could kind of find myself saying back to her was, yeah, it is actually, it's amazing. And I was kind of reminded again at how often um, those that aren't in the church kind of speak into our lives. And she spoke right into my heart that morning. And I kind of came away from the conversation going, it is amazing being a Christian. It is totally amazing. Yeah, it's hard work too. But it's amazing that we know that we are citizens of heaven. We know we're heaven bound. We know that whatever we do, there is massive purpose to our existence, our point of being here, that God loves us so much. And our point here is to learn to worship God and then to serve him in all kinds of ways. We have a purpose for our lives. And it's amazing. And I came away thinking, I just wonder how much more the thought of being a citizen of heaven should be occupying my thoughts. Because that's what, if you believe in Jesus, you are. You are a citizen of heaven. See, Paul has been saying to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 20, your citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so, because you're a citizen of heaven, says Paul, stand firm. Don't let the rubbish of this life shake you and rock you. Stand firm. And the whole book of Philippians is him, Paul, sat in prison, by the way, calling those believers to say, stand firm. You're heaven bound. You're a citizen of heaven. Know who you are. Know that Jesus has saved you. Know where you are headed. 
stand firm. And he says to them, um, he doesn't kind of pretend that, that life's all glorious and it's amazing. He says to them, um, often I've told you before, um, now and now again I say with tears in my eyes, many people around you live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Because Paul knows that back then, and it's still true for us today, that we are surrounded by people for whom only things of this earth consume their thoughts. And he's calling us away from that, back out of that, to remember that we are citizens of heaven. And he wants his people in Philippi, and he would want us today, to stand firm as Jesus Christ in this world. And um, there's loads of teaching on that, which hopefully you've been um, going in and, and we'll be having more in in the coming uh, couple of weeks. But in this particular passage he gives us today, he says um, a couple of things. There are two threats to you being able to stand firm well. There are two threats to you being able to stand firm well. The first threat is arguing with other Christians. And the second threat to your ability to stand firm as a Christian is anxiety. Two threats. Arguments with other Christians and anxiety. And he goes on in this passage that we've got today to talk about those two things. Why? Because he's desperate that the people of God in Philippi can see them and then know how to stand firm and not let those things rock their standing firm for him in the world. So, um, I wish Annabelle was up here at this point because I've got no idea how to say these two ladies' names. But in the first few verses of our passage, maybe get it open and have a look. Um, he says to Euodia and... Who can say it? Come on. Who's got a syncthesy? How did you say it? Syncthesy. Any, any other offers? I don't know. It's kind of hard anyway. So he mentions these two ladies. Quite embarrassing, I think, a letter that's gone out to the, to the whole church. And Paul says, um, these two ladies, Euodia and Syncthesy, um, you've been arguing. Stop it. I find it incredible that Paul said this, right? Because Paul, out of all the, the believers back in the day, must have been the cause of so many arguments. This is the Paul who murdered Christians and who would have had to then go and spend time, perhaps, with the relatives of people he'd murdered. So, you know, he wasn't a man who didn't know what it was like to get into arguments with other Christians. He had co-workers that got a bit upset with him at times and then went off to plant other churches. Um, he was a man familiar with arguments. And he says to Yodia and Syncte, stop arguing. I plead with you to get along. Because Paul knows that when we are divided amongst ourselves, our energy is zapped. Our thoughts are less consumed with standing as a firm witness to the world, and they become more like, you know, internalizing in, in on ourselves. 
So what do we learn from these little bits of verses about these two ladies? Well, I think the first thing we learn is that it is possible to be an amazing Christian and still argue with another amazing Christian. These two women, it says, their names are written in the book of life. They're amazing people. They're known in heaven. God loves them. They were missionaries. They, they'd contended at Paul's side for the sake of the gospel. They're super cool. They're amazing Christians. So the first thing we learn is that it's possible for two amazing Christians to argue. That just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're not susceptible or weak at times to have arguments with others. And actually, I'd like to suggest to you this morning, if you've never been hurt by somebody else in church, you're either a brand new Christian or you've not really been in church. Because Paul talks up to the Philippians and says, I want you to contend as one man for the gospel. I want you guys to work together to be good news to the rest of the world, to show the world good news. If you've never been hurt by another Christian, you've either not been involved in contending side to side for the good news, or you're a brand new Christian today. Why? Because you, surely you know, I certainly know when I look at myself, we're not perfect. We get stuff wrong all the time. So arguments are a reality, and they're a reality amongst amazing people, amazing godly people. They're a reality. So what does Paul do in these few verses? Well, here we get the second thing we learn, because we get a little glimpse into how we're to act when arguments happen. We hear from Paul, or rather by the lack of it, that he has absolutely no interest in the cause of the argument. He doesn't care, or at least it's secondary to his primary concern, and his primary concern is that the disunity of the local church doesn't occur because of this argument. He says to them, essentially, lift your eyes up to the God in heaven, you're serving King Jesus, get on with it. And so for us, when arguments happen, we have to reunite again before Jesus and get on with it. Now, sometimes that's easier than at other times. You know, Paul pleads equally with both women to agree with each other. He doesn't say to one, you're wrong, go and apologize. And he doesn't say to them, you're partly right and partly wrong, kind of, you know, uh, get kind of work. No, just he says to both of them, I plead with both of you, get along. One of the women is not to say, I'm perfectly ready to accept an apology when it's made, or I'm perfectly ready to accept an apology uh, when I think it's going to, um, I'm going to make the apology rather when I think it's going to be accepted. Rather, Paul calls on both women to move towards each other. Sometimes we have to say to one another, sorry for hurt, when we ourselves can't see how or where it came from. 
but we can see that there's hurt. That can be difficult. Apparently, church leaders are the biggest cause of hurt, so I'm sorry this morning if I've ever hurt you. (laughs) It can be for all kinds of reasons. Something they've said that's been not thoroughly thought through. Something that's out of their control. But regardless of whether we understand how or why we've hurt someone, if there's hurt, we're still called to say our sorry. Not a a fake sorry, but a genuine sorry for the hurt that is there. And then, yes, to work through as much as we can together. You see here, um, Paul says, he gets somebody else involved. He says, I want my um, fellow person in the church to help you guys out. And you see, the hardest um, argument or hurt that occurs is when there's been a breakdown of trust or even when there has been abuse. If this is the case, it is very important for third parties to be involved in the breakdown of relationship. One, because if there's any hint of abuse, it must be eradicated and stopped. It is not to be stood for. But the other reason, when there's been a sort of betrayal of trust in some way or another, we often need somebody else's help to help mend or work towards mending the relationship. One commentator said this, and I found it quite helpful. He said this, It's sad when things are so amongst Christians, but fellowship is not foolishness. And we need to be aware of each other's weaknesses as we are admiring of each other's strengths. Nevertheless, in the Lord, we can find strength to eradicate bitterness of heart. And even though we cannot speak of the past again, never mind mend it, we can begin to understand one another express practical concern and pray for one another as we unite ourselves around Jesus. It's very difficult to deal with arguments, very difficult, and sometimes we need third parties involved to help us. But the point Paul is making is he's saying to them, you are a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. Jesus has forgiven you. And therefore I call you to the massive hard task of forgiving those around you. As I have forgiven you, so I call you to forgive others. How can we forgive those who've hurt us? We can forgive them because there's a God who sees in heaven. There's a God who sees. He will hold you and help you in your hurt and your pain. And he loves you. And as we sacrificially offer forgiveness, as Jesus did on the cross... That is when principalities are broken. That is when families are healed. That is the Jesus stuff. That's the Holy Spirit stuff working in us. And so he says, Euodian Zingdi, please, I plead with you, please unite again around Jesus. Sort it out. You're divided, you're weak, you're unable to stand firm when you are arguing amongst 
yourselves. The second uh, uh, thing that sort of stops us from standing firm um, for Jesus in the world is when we get consumed by anxious thoughts and worries. Um, on Monday night, I went out for um, a lovely meal in Shepherd's Bush with Nicole in church. I don't know if you know Nicole. She sometimes plays the bass. Um, she's often at the Turnham Green site. And if you were over there a few weeks ago, you had the privilege of seeing her husband, David, baptized in a paddling pool, which was quite a hilarious moment because he's like a massive bloke. And as he kind of went down in the paddling pool, both legs came right back out up the other side. Anyway, it was very funny, but it was a wonderful and um, beautiful moment as we um, celebrated there. And uh, as I was chatting to uh, Nicole, um, she was sort of saying, oh, do you know what? I just love to do more stuff in church to like build community, like maybe on like Sunday afternoons, just saying, does anyone want to come around and look around this museum together or let's have a picnic together? And I was like, yes, Nicole, that's music to my ears. We need people that are going to build up the family of God in this place. That's so exciting. And um, we were chatting about how she might do this. And we were sort of saying, you know, um, and I sort of said, maybe you could like have a WhatsApp group people could join it if they wanted to um, sort of join in with that kind of activity and and then she said no and um, and then she got out her phone from her mobile um, from her handbag and she said it was one of those like old brick Nokia phones and she was like I haven't got WhatsApp at the moment Nick God told me in the summer at New Wine to give up my iPhone So we talked about other ways about how she might organize this in the future. What she said was, she said, for me, it's just too tempting in the morning to reach for my phone and to read all the news and all the crap stuff that's happening in the world and for me to spend the first half an hour of my day thinking about how awful this world is. And she said, I just find it too tempting. I know other people don't have that problem, but for me, I just find it too tempting to grab for the phone. And so I'm trying really hard not to. And to be honest, I'm not doing it perfectly. I'm still sometimes going for David's phone or the iPad or whatever, but I'm just trying to start my day off with God and not with all the depressing stuff in the world. And I just thought it was a brilliant uh, thing for this passage today because it goes on in um, the verses in the passage to say, think about things that are lovely, true, pure, good. You see, we're not so able to stand firm for God when we are consumed by the same anxieties as everybody else. Paul says it's very clear what I want you to consume your mind with. Things that are pure, blameless, true, lovely, good. And it requires, um, I think, quite a lot of discipline to do that. Now, it's not then that we're to do that and like walk around in like some happy little bubble, like totally unaware of the struggles of the world. I'm just walking along on my own cloud of happiness with the Lord and I like couldn't care that your business is going down the tube or that you're like on the street there and don't have anywhere to live and I'm just going to live in this happy thing, only going to think about something that's totally lovely and I'm never going to... It's not that, but it's where we orientate our thoughts towards And are they towards God and his goodness, or are they towards the things that are not right? And then what we're to do 
when we come across the things in life that are really rubbish, both for us personally and as we look at our world. What are we to do? Well, these incredible verses tell us. Rejoice in the Lord always, for the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. With thanksgiving, present your requests, present anything to God, and then the peace of Christ will transcend your hearts and minds. These are some of the most wonderfully practical verses, and we're just going to finish just dwelling on them just for a moment. We are to bring before God every anxiety, every worry, every concern as we have it. We do that in rejoicing and with thanksgiving, but we present it to him. Anything, anything from the most petty, I'm really annoyed that Toby didn't like smile and give me a Mother's Day card this morning, to there's still a war going on in Syria in places and there's millions of people displaced, to this is what is happening in my business, to I am just so busy on the treadmill right now that I haven't even had a chance to stop God. Every concern, every anxiety, everything we're to present to God. And do you know what? Sometimes that will mean getting the Bible and it will mean turning to a psalm and reading it like Psalm 106 and saying, Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? And I don't feel it because stuff is going on bad, but I know it to be true. And so I'm going to choose to rejoice with my mind in Jesus today. And it might mean taking the psalm and it might mean practically reading that out over and over again until I'm so in my mind remembering that there's a God in heaven who's got this in control. That I am rejoicing him despite the circumstances I might be living in or under. Despite how I'm feeling. Because our feelings shouldn't be suppressed. We let them out, but we don't let them have the last word. We don't let them have the control over us. And then God says, as you do this, he promises three amazing things to us. He promises us three utterly amazing things. First, he says that supernaturally, he's going to be with us. There's going to be a supernatural touch on your life. The peace that God gives you will transcend anything. It can't be explained by humans. So the first promise is that as Christians, there's going to be a mark of the supernatural in our lives. The second promise is that God is going to be our close companion. You will find as you rejoice in the Lord that the Lord is near. You know, back in Eden, in the garden... The question wasn't, where are you, God? The question was, where are you, Adam and Eve? 
God's always there. Where are you? And as you turn towards him and rejoice, he is right there. His word promises you that he will be your close companion. And the third promise is peace, that you will experience deep peace. Peace is the bedrock, if you like, of joy and all the other things that God gives us. The peace of Christ will come. So as you rejoice in the Lord, you present your request to him with thanksgiving in your hearts, you will be promised and experience a touch of the supernatural in your life. You will know God as your close companion and his peace will come upon you. Three amazing little promises in there for us. Those of you who knew me when we first arrived in Chiswick, after about um, six months or so of being here, we we found out that Ella wasn't going to go to the school we wanted her to go to. And if you know anything about parents in Chiswick, they're quite consumed about school choices and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's some nodding and smiles. It consumes a lot of the conversation. Um, It's very easy to get sucked into, and I've done it myself. But... um, We didn't get the school we wanted. We wanted her to go to Belmont School. Why? Because we dragged her out of Wolverhampton where we were living, where she was very happy, and we'd been told that that was the nearest school to our house, and so it was most likely that she would go there. And they had a place at the nursery. So halfway through the year, we'd put her in the nursery. And we thought like it was quite a lot of disruption in her life. She'd just had a new baby brother. She'd just moved house. And we plonked her halfway through the year in a new nursery. And then we found out that this nursery at Belmont School, where she was going to, where she had begun to make lots of friends, was not the school we were going to be able to send her to for reception. And in a moment of utter exhausted mumminess, tiredness, being away from my mummy friends in this new city of London, I just felt awful. It consumed me and I was anxious and I felt horrible inside. Now, you can't in those moments just click a finger and come out of it, right? But I know this passage And some of you will have met me in a time, and I was like, and you know, you let the feelings out, and you are anxious with it. But you've got to not stay in that place. And so I remember one night, I just woke up in the middle of the night, it was about midnight, and I was just like, right, we are having this out, Lord. I am so cross with you. You moved us here. You're making me live at the bottom of the M4. Okay, Chiswick is nice. I've realized that now. But it's quite polluted, and I've got to live in this, and you haven't given us the school we wanted, and it's a school in the parish, and it's a school next to the church, and it'd be much the better place for us to be your people in. And I just, and I like had it out with the Lord, and I was just like ranting and raving. And then I came to the end, and I picked up the psalm, and I started praising God. God with the psalm. And as I did that, it took till about 4 a.m. in the morning, but suddenly the peace of Christ fell upon me. And it did not change the circumstance. She still had to go to the school that I didn't want her to go to. But the peace of Christ entered my heart. And you know, God's done some lovely things through the fact that she's gone to this school we didn't want her to go to. You know, I sat in church at Turnham Green on Sunday and there were three of my mum friends in church 
that weren't in church before we were here. That's so cool. That's just because we have the contact at the school and God's good. That's super exciting. That's what this is about, right? But also she's flourished. She's got some lovely friends at her school. And actually it's a good school. And she ended up with a Christian teacher for her reception teacher. Well, that's, that was pretty awesome. So we have to battle through, but there's the promise of this passage, and I've tested it time and time again in my own life. That when we rejoice in God, we will experience the supernatural come upon us as we present our requests to him and allow him to be Lord, remembering that we are citizens of heaven, the peace of Christ will come upon us. And then after that, joy. Such joy as we're not bound down by the same anxieties that this world carries. And if there's one little bit of scripture to learn off by heart, learn these verses off by heart. They're transformative as we go about our workplaces and our life spaces this week. They're utterly transformative. And so there we go. We have this passage today where Paul says, stand firm as Christians. There's two hindrances to that, arguing and anxiety. Sort it out, people. And that's basically what he's saying to them.